All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman may be complete, equipped for every good work. So may God add his blessing and fill his word in our hearts today. All right, thanks, Tom, for that reading. Um, my name is Jake. I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson. Um, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this new series called Countercultural Convictions. And basically, what that is, is that these are beliefs that the Christian church has held on to, that we here at Redemption Church hold on to, that are countercultural or different or counter the culture that we live in. And so, we've been going through multiple of them. Um, and this week, we're going to be looking at the countercultural conviction of the Bible. And so, if you don't have a Bible, uh, a, a literal pages, ink, Bible in your hands, if you want to use your phone, that's fine. But if you don't have a Bible with you today, this morning, raise your hand um, and we'll, we'll get one to you. Um, and again, even more so this week, because we're talking about the Bible, I'd encourage you, if you don't have one, raise your hand so you can get one. You can look in it. You can feel it. If you don't own a Bible, um, keep this one. This is our gift to you. Um, if you just forgot yours at home, then just leave it on the chair. But uh, again, if you don't have a Bible of your own, keep this one. We also have those in Spanish. Um, if you would like to have one in Spanish, just make sure you indicate that. Before we dive into the Word this morning, I'd like to pray for us um, and go ahead and dive in to the Bible, to the Scriptures. So let's pray. Father, you are good. Help us to love you. Help us to see you this morning. Help us to worship you this morning as we have many different things that are vying for our control um, and vying for our attention. Lord, as we come into this room, help us to focus on you. Any distractions that we have out there, Lord, may we forget them and come in here and sit at your word and learn and grow um, and, and trust in you more. As we talk about the Bible, help it, help it to soak into our hearts that it may change us so that we may love you and worship you more. We love you, Lord. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was the youngest child in my family. I was the baby. Are there any other babies out here along with me? Okay, there's a couple of them. Well, now there a, there's a lot of challenges to being the youngest child in a family, to being the baby. Uh, your brothers pick on you a lot. Uh, your parents give your older siblings the better toys, which is actually a true story in my case. And you have to wear hand-me-downs. But there are some really amazing things to being the baby, most of which um, is that your parents just kind of let you do whatever you want. It's really awesome. Now that I have three kids of my own, I just realize all parents are exhausted and they don't really care anymore. <laughs> but with being the baby, there was very rarely another baby around when I was growing up. And even when there was, I wasn't responsible to take care of it. Uh, so needless to say, 
I didn't know how to take care of an infant. Even in college, somebody handed me a baby, and I just held it out, and it looked at me, and I looked at it, and then she started crying, and then I started crying. <laughs> so I didn't know in the least what to do with kids. And then just over five years ago, my, my wife told me she was pregnant. Such terror. <laughs> I was excited. I was really excited, but I still had no idea what to do. But I had help. There was help. There's an incredible little book, well, I guess it's not little, called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Have you guys heard of it? It's great. It tells you everything you need to know. Everything from pregnancy to labor to infancy. If you've got a question, this book answers it. But it gets even better. They have an iPhone app. There's actually an app for that. And it's called the What to Expect When You're Expecting app. And every day it told me something new about my new child and uh, how it was a blueberry or a strawberry. Uh, the size of a blueberry or a strawberry. And it was really cool. I had all this new information and I had to share it. And I didn't handle that information very well. I was excited, but one day my wife came home from the doctor and she said, yeah, and I've only gained 10 pounds so far. 10 pounds so far. I wasn't proud of my response, but I had amazing new information to share. And I needed to share it. She said, that I only gained 10 pounds so far, to which I responded, that's great, and the baby is only ounces. <laughs> now, if you men in the room, if you do not have a child, that is not the good response to tell your pregnant wife. I came to this book when I needed help, this What to Expect book when I needed help. I read a few pages, got what I needed, and now I have three daughters, and I, I, I don't look at it anymore. Unfortunately, so many of us treat our Bibles the same way. We look at it when we need it, we don't really understand it, and then go about our way, determined that we don't need help anymore. And so that brings us now to 2 Timothy, which Tom read earlier. So I wanted to read it again, follow along with me in your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I wanted to spend most of our time this morning on that first little phrase, all Scripture is breathed out by God breathed out. The Greek word here is theonestos, which can be translated inspired by God. The countercultural conviction this week is that we believe that the Bible, which you're holding in your hands, was written and inspired by God himself. The Bible is the very words of God. Inspiration has been the belief of the Christian church since the very beginning. The scriptures, the Bible, are the revelation of God. Over thousands of years, God used human authors to write the Bible. 
whether it was Moses or David or Paul or Luke or one of the many other writers of the 66 books of the Bible, all of them were inspired by God to write exactly what God wanted them to write. And uh, this was not a robotic sort of like God wielding an instrument and forcing these authors to do, the, do his will. Instead, what we believe is that God organically wrote the scriptures. God used the personalities, the writing styles, the education, the emotions to supernaturally guide the writers. Paul may have physically wrote Romans or David the Psalms or Moses the Exodus, but guiding all of them, writing through all of them, was God. And I think it's really difficult to kind of understand inspiration and how this all works, and I think that might be part of the mystery, and that's okay. Uh, But to kind of help us understand inspiration, I wanted to pull an analogy from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, There is a book um, called A Horse and His Boy, and if you've read it, it's a phenomenal book, but in this book, a horse named Bree and a boy named Shasta, they are on the run trying to make it to Narnia where there can be freedom and joy and they can live a life uh, free from oppression. Through their journey, There's dangers and there's struggles, most notably from a lion that always seems to be chasing them, trying to have them for dinner. Always seems to be on their tail, and they can't ever get away from him. And it's revealed at the end of the book, sorry, spoilers, but it's revealed at the end of the book that this lion is none other than Aslan himself. And he wasn't chasing them to to eat them but rather he was guiding them, protecting them, and leading them to their journey uh, to freedom. He was making sure they were taking the right path and correcting them when they went astray. I imagine inspiration to be something like this, God working through the writers of the Bible to communicate his words in the way that he wanted it to humans. Every paragraph, every sentence, every word was what God wanted to communicate to humans. The authorship and the content of the Word of God is divine. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. When Paul, uh, who wrote Timothy here, he also wrote 1 Thessalonians, he says, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as it really is, the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but as it really is, the Word of God. You are holding in your hands the very words of God. God has spoken in human history. All Scripture is breathed out by God. If the Bible truly comes from God, this is an incredible thing. God himself has spoken to us, and we need to do something about it. And if the scriptures are inspired by God himself, that means at least two things. It means that scripture is inerrant, and scripture is sufficient. First, scripture is inerrant, meaning there is no error in scripture. It is perfect. In all that it says, in everything that it says, it is true. It is right. 
If the Scriptures are from God and it is impossible for God to lie, but only, that, only say that which is true, then we can trust the Scriptures to be completely error-free. John 10.35 says that Scripture cannot be broken. It cannot shown to be false. It cannot be shown to be wrong about anything it speaks to. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says it this way, no word of Scripture can be falsified. No promise can fall short of fulfillment. No statement can be guilty of error. I want to stop here for a second because what I have said is an incredibly profound statement given our your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth kind of world, kind of culture that we live in uh, for today's postmodern culture. God has spoken and his word, the scriptures, are the truth. There is one truth and it is here in these pages. This creates a problem because there are many things in our hearts, in our minds, in our world that disagrees with what's in this book. Many ideas about who we are, who God is, what the world is about, what the world cares about, how the world should work, what love is, how are we are supposed to feel, who Jesus is. And really, if you take any of these countercultural convictions, the world says something different than the Bible about it. And what this verse is showing us here in 2 Timothy is that if we disagree with the Bible, we are wrong, not the Bible. God Almighty has spoken, and when we disagree with Him, we are the problem, not Him. When God says, this is how we are to treat those around us, and we think, no, I want to do it this way, we are wrong. If God says something is true, and we say, no, that can't be so, the Scriptures are correct, and we are not. If God says, this is who you truly are, this is how I've made you, and this is how you are supposed to act and live, and if we disagree with any of that, it is us who are wrong. You cannot go to God and say, well, that's your truth, God. I'm going to hold on to mine. God is truth. You cannot go to the very source of truth and think you know better. So many of us come to the scriptures with our heads full of incorrect thinking, falsities from our culture, and we run scripture through that filter. And then we declare scripture wrong when it doesn't add up. We need to flip the table. Everything in our hearts, minds, relationships, culture, world, everything we hear and see needs to be submitted to the scriptures. And if it does not agree with the Scriptures, it needs to be rejected. The Bible you are holding in your hands is from God, and it is completely without error. That is what we should use to filter out and um, filter out everything we hear every day. Now, some of the responses to this idea of inerrancy, of the Word being perfect that I've heard, and some of you might have heard it as well, is, well, the books of the Bible— they were written hundreds of years after the original 
authors were alive, or even if they were written by the supposed authors, the years and hundreds of years of copying, we don't actually know what was really said. Essentially, we can't trust the Bible, the Bible that we have in front of us today, to be what was written hundreds of years ago. And I just want to flatly say that that is simply not true. There's evidence of incredible attentiveness and accuracy when it comes to copying the manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts that make up your Bible. To put this in perspective, we have eight original, what we consider original manuscript copies of the ancient Greek historian Herodotus. He wrote a history, most notably the the, the Greco-Persian Wars with like King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans and uh, the, the, the Persians and Xerxes. He wrote of that history. We have eight manuscript copies of that history. To put that in perspective, we have over 10,000 copies of the Gospel of John. It was the most popular book in the Roman second century. If you look at the footnotes of your Bible, you undoubtedly see at some point a note that says something along the lines of some manuscripts contain this, instead of that. Basically, what that means is that at some point, there was one guy who was copying down. They had to do it by hand. They didn't have control C and control V. They had to copy it down by hand. And he made a mistake because they're humans. They make mistakes. But the reason why we know that this one guy made a mistake is because we have hundreds of other, uh, hundreds of other copies that do not make the same mistake. So we can look and say, hey, no, that's a mistake because all of these don't have it. There is incredible proof that the Bible is reliable and can be trusted. Inspiration means the Bible is inerrant. It also means the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is all you need to live a godly life. As it says here at the end of verse 17 in 2 Timothy, that you may be equipped for every good work, every good work. Along these lines, 2 Peter says that God has given us and granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need is here. Now granted, Scripture does not contain all the truth in all the world. It does not talk about how you are supposed to change a tire. It does not talk about how to fly a plane or which major to choose in in college or what girl to marry. But what it does tell us is that which we truly need down at our core. God has revealed all that we need to know for salvation. Who God is, what he is like, what he has done, and what we should do. You do not need to look elsewhere. The word is sufficient. So many of us want to hear from God. We often feel lonely. We don't know what to do. We try and go out into the forest, or in our case, the desert, and we go and try and be quiet so we can hear from God. We, we try and read books from smart people or from pastors, or we watch TED Talks to try and live differently, all the while wanting to hear from God. The Bible is sufficient for you. If you want to hear God speak, open your Bible. Any other way of trying to hear God speak will not be enough. If you want to hear God speak, 
Open your Bible. Furthermore, Bible being sufficient, what that means is that anyone can understand it. God did not communicate to us in a way that we do not understand. You do not need a secret Da Vinci Code decoder ring to understand what is in the Bible. You can merely open it, read it, and understand what God says to you. Now often, people say in disagreements about the Bible, well, that's just your interpretation. Some of you might have heard that before. This idea holds that the Bible can be interpreted in many different, often conflicting ways. Well, if what we are reading is from God himself, the source of truth, as we discussed earlier, that means that there are not many correct interpretations of Scripture. There is only one correct interpretation of Scripture. Saying that there's many different but valid interpretations destroys the clearness of Scripture and in turn destroys the sufficiency of Scripture. So please, please, Redemption Church, don't settle with a heart that says, oh, that's just your interpretation. Some sections may be difficult to understand, and we may not understand it until Jesus comes back, but we should seek to have accuracy in our understanding of the Bible and not simply give up at, oh, that's just your interpretation. Our Bible is breathed out by God and is sufficient and inerrant. And what I wanted to do is with this truth of the Bible being sufficient and inerrant, break out three main groups that I see um, in the Christian church as a whole, but also here at Redemption in kind of their relationship with the Bible. The first is many of us. Let me describe them. They have a cursory, vague knowledge of the Bible. They hardly read it. They almost never try to apply it to their life. They might pick up a quote or two and write it on a sticky note and put it somewhere in their house, but they don't spend very much time in the Scriptures. They might have read it for a couple of days at the beginning of the year as a resolution, but really haven't picked it up since. Although this group would say they love the Bible, they don't actually spend very much time with it. One of the main problems with this group is they are still being educated on theological ideas about who God is, who we are, but they're not being educated from the Bible. See, either you are being shaped by the Word in truth, or you're being shaped by the world. And the world has much to say about who God is, who we are, and what are we supposed to do, and what is truth. However, most of the things that the world says is false. We have the word of truth here in the scriptures, but so many of us are choosing instead to listen what the world and the culture is telling us to be true. So when this group is faced with conflicting truth from the person at the coffee shop, the person at work, or the Oscar speech on TV, this group almost always accepts it. They accept the lie they are being told because they don't know the truth because they do not read God's truthful word. If you're rarely in your Bible, 
In times of temptation, you echo the original temptation back in the Garden of Eden. When Satan said to Eve, did God really say not to eat of the fruit? Did God really say? Unfortunately, if you are not reading your Bible, hearing from God himself, when you are faced with the did God really say of our cultures, you don't know because you don't know what God says. So because you do not have a firm foundation upon the Word of God, you wholeheartedly accept these untrue statements from our culture. Statements like, God helps those who help themselves. All religions are just a different path that lead to the same God. Humans are generally good people. Just be true to yourself. Love yourself, and then you can love others. This group doesn't know how to respond to these statements if they don't already believe them to be true. This group doesn't know their Bible well, and so in turn, they do not know the God of the Bible. For this group, I want to warn you, warn you and encourage you. One, you are being shaped by something. And unfortunately, this group is being shaped by the culture and not the word of life. And I want to warn you because when it comes to your Christian faith, you're becoming hazy, mushy, and irrelevant in what you know to be the truth and how you reach others. You're being shaped more by the world if you're not being shaped by the word. To encourage you, John Piper says this, there's a spiritual diet in which no Christian can be strong or healthy or fruitful, and that diet is the Word of God. There is truth here, and you need it more than life itself. Dive in to the Scriptures. Now, the second group within Christian, Christian culture and within our church that I've seen, they fall on the other end of the spectrum. They know their Bible very well. They know it front to back. They read it. They memorize it. They recite it. They quote it. However, they are incredibly unloving and ungracious to those around them. They know their Bible well, but they use it as a weapon to harm others. And it's not just the guy who hangs out at the U of A mall and yells at everyone. They're here in the Christian church, biblically educated, but incredibly ungracious. They wield the truth, but respond in a very unloving way. This group explodes with statements like, what? You don't read Romans over and over again? You read the NIV version? Throw out that heresy. You're friends with someone who is homosexual? Are you even Christian? You made a choice to follow God? Are you kidding me? This group knows their Bible well, but unfortunately does not know the God of the Bible. They are proud of their knowledge of the God who opposes the proud. They are proud of their knowledge of the God who opposes the proud. The scriptures are sweet and bring life, but their words are judgment and condemnation. For this group, a warning and encouragement. A warning. The Pharisees knew their Bible better than you. Most of them 
had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. But Jesus repeatedly responded to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You may know the Bible very well, but you may not know the God of the Bible. As an encouragement to you, you cannot love the Bible more than Jesus. He treasured it. He spoke of it often. He used it during his greatest trials. Jesus rooted his life in the scriptures and he loved them, but he also used it to speak love and grace to those around him. Look at the way Jesus used his Bible to the grace of God. This last group that I wanted to to look at, when it comes to the Bible, you want to hear from the Word of God. You work to read it every day. You are making it a priority in your life. You seek to study it, to learn from it, apply it to your life. You hear the Word of God. You are encouraged by it. You are sometimes convicted. You see it bearing fruit in your life. It may be difficult or dry at some times, but you continue in it. Seeing the scriptures as honey for your soul. The Bible is precious to you. I have an encouragement for you. Continue, continue in it. Fight for it. As Philippians 2 says, hold fast to the word of life. Hold on to that which is most important. Your labor in the word will never be in vain. And even when you do not feel it, God is working in your heart to grow faith and love for him. If you have rooted yourself in the truth of God's word, stay there. Hold on to it with a death grip to the precious living word of God. Fight to continue to hear the word of God. You need it. The people around you need it. You have found the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? Hold fast to the word of life. Redemption Church, Bible reading is hard. It takes work to get into it and read it, much less enjoy it. And it's okay to say that it's hard. And I think it's hard for two reasons. One, we are already so full. Full of distractions and cares that turn our attentions away. We're like a kid who has spoiled his appetite on candy and cannot enjoy the feast laid out before them. But let me tell you that the Bible is not boring. Unfortunately, again, it's us who is the problem. We are so consumed by other things. Sports are boring compared to the Bible. Instagram is boring compared to the Bible. Shopping is boring. Video games are boring. Star Wars is boring. Superhero movies are boring. TV shows are boring compared to the Bible. We are so bored by the Bible because we are so filled up on trying to learn about lightsabers and Death Stars, rookie combines and wildcat offenses, bachelors and HGTV. If we come to the Bible and find it hard to read because it's boring, maybe it's because we've been over-entertained already by counterfeit joys. So let us let go of those things that distract us and hold on to the word of life. Second reason why we find it hard to read the Bible is we don't like what it says. It says that we are sinners. It says that we are wrong, that there is a God who rules over our lives. We can't do whatever we want. 
but it reveals to us the place where true joy is found in Christ. Any of these other countercultural topics that we're talking about find their authority here where God has spoken. How we understand love and Jesus and gender and sexuality and the poor find its foundation here where God has spoken. We rest on the foundations of the scriptures where God has spoken. The hope that we have is here where God has spoken. If this isn't true, if the Bible isn't true, then nothing of this matters. But Redemption Church, the Bible is true. If you want to be countercultural, read your Bible where God has spoken. So what does the Bible say? It says that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. This rejects the idea that we have an atheistic or natural beginning. It says that humans sinned against their creator. This rejects the idea that all humans are good. It says that God revealed his law, his standard for what is right and what is wrong. This rejects the idea that there is no such thing as objective truth. It says that no human being can uphold the standard of that law. This rejects the idea that you can earn your salvation. It says that the results of sin is death and hell. This rejects the idea that our sin and our actions do not have any consequences. It tells us that God did not leave us that way, but instead tells us that He sent a Savior, that all Scripture points to Him, and that if you would put your faith in Christ, you would be saved. Luke 24 tells us of a resurrected Jesus teaching his disciples that all Scripture points to Jesus. And it tells us of his love. If you dive into the Scriptures, you will see Jesus himself and know with what great love God has loved you. It tells us that one day Christ will return make the wrong things right and the painful things untrue. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor pain, nor crying anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is your Bible. Stick to the Bible. Hold fast to the Bible. You need it. You need it more than life itself. I wanted to end with Psalm 1. You can turn there if you like, but you can also just listen to it. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Redemption Church, hold fast to the word of life where God has spoken. Let's pray. God, you are good. You love us. We need you. We need to hear from you. And you have so graciously spoken. 
Lord, help us to to treat your word as it is, your word where you have spoken, and help us to submit to it, help us to love it, help us to enjoy it. Everything in our being tells us not to enjoy it, Lord, but because of your Son, we can. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts to love your word. As we respond today, let us respond in truth, um, and let us respond um, in your love, knowing that you have given everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen.